Hello and welcome to Keep Swimming. This is the filmmaking and television podcast where us film enthusiasts and students talk about everything film and television related. I'm Billy and I'm joined by... Max, hello. And Marcus, hello. Hey guys, great for you to be here. Yeah, I'm hosting today due to um, our esteemed host, Chloe, having all the joys of moving home so she couldn't join us today. But um, no, no problem. No, we are here to discuss limited series and miniseries. No, do you guys, um, are you guys familiar with, um, with the topic of miniseries? You know, what, what, are, what they are? Uh, yeah, so they're kind of like one-season TV shows, right? Like, it's, that's really what it is. So, yeah, essentially limited series are one-series TV shows that are not intended to extend past the final episode of that initial season. No, they are, they are intended to have a very clear beginning and end point. Sometimes they do get extended past the uh, one-season mark to two or three seasons, but at that point they cease to become limited series. They do have to have that one se- single season. And they're often planned out from the start, whereas a lot of like long-form TV shows will be have um, a season writer and then they will write episodically or seasonally. They're planned out from the start, much more like a film's a film than the TV show. Whereas things on, you know, like things on the Star Trek, the the script was written a week or two before it was due to be produced. So it's it's kind of much more like a rigid, well-planned out production. Excellent. That's cool. So what are your guys? Do you prefer miniseries over a full-length feature film? Or are you, like, kind of in the middle? Or do you really not start? Can you not stand miniseries? Like, what's your thoughts on them? Good question. I, I, um, I love all film and television. I don't have a favourite. No, that's a lie. Um, I think miniseries have a really unique place. Um, I think that how, um, how you use them um can you know it can tell stories in a different way to film i think film will always have a a place for telling stories i don't think that it's suddenly gonna you know disrupt the film and tv industry in such a way that oh we're never gonna have a film again because there's just something about sitting down in a dark room in a cinema i think that no amount of binge watching will ever replace i went to the cinema recently to see like you know the first film after out of lockdown and just getting to sit in a cinema for two hours was fantastic. I, I loved it. <laughs> never, ever, ever take that away from anybody, I think. Yeah, fair enough. That seems fair. What do you think, Marcus? I mean, I love the format. I do also think that some miniseries could just be thrown into a film. And I think that sometimes it's like you're watching it and you're like, hang on a minute, this could be split into a simple three-act film. Like, Why are they stretching it? for the sake of making a miniseries, like, I want to know, and I'm not sure because obviously I've not really done my specific research into the industry about it specifically, but, like, is, is miniseries, like, a more profitable way of doing something? Like, are, pe- are people who think about making series or a film when they write a story, do they think, oh, a miniseries or a film will make us more money? Like, I want to know if there's any motivation and that side of it i'm not sure if there's any particular you know financial uh, benefit to, to creating a miniseries over a movie or a longer form tv show i do think it's kind of interesting you know i agree with you marcus on that point about you know there are certain miniseries that i've seen that are, you know only some they're only even two parts and they're not particularly long parts they're only about you know 59 minutes each and i you know some of the bbc bbc ones and i'm I kind of wonder, you know, what what exactly was the decision? Who decided that that was a? I mean, not that the content in the shows and the writing and the performances and the storytelling isn't great, but I do wonder what the motivation was to kind of split it into two episodes when you could have easily rolled it together into just like a a made-for-television movie. Yeah, and whether it's it's kind of this uh, obsession in kind of casual movie-going culture to make content bingeable, like you know, we sit down and binge a television show. I, I don't know if that's kind of what a lot of industries, a lot of kind of production companies are leaning towards is to make content that like can fulfill that buzzword, being bingeable rather than being, you know, really good. No, I was going to say, there does seem to be a real sort of trend now in television, especially with the advent of streaming uh, towards you know, creating TV shows that, are, you know, you, you watch in a vacuum, you know, you, you, you watch 
in one sort of continuous you know stream one night and you don't really get the sense of you know waiting between the episodes so m- maybe there's an element of that you know appealing so i i i think that it's important to kind of make this line between what the audience will want to see from a show and what, you know, if it'd be better as a movie. I think, you know, if you've shot, like, if you've written a script that's clearly going to be a miniseries, you shouldn't change it to be a film because it's a, because, you know, that's more marketable. I think that people should be true to where they are. When you start messing around with scripts to make them fit into a certain kind of content bracket, you, you do end up, you know, with trouble because it's just not, you know, you're, you're throwing bits in that aren't needed or you're taking bits out that are needed. It's how you get this kind of really slapdash or haphazard look to a narrative. Yeah, and obviously because, you know, television is, it's called episodic, you know, the scripts are written to fit that episodic format. So if you then try and, you know, roll them together, when they've been written to sort of fit like a three or four episode arc, you know, it can create potential storytelling issues there. Can you think of any films that do that? Because I'm, I'm trying, because you, you sometimes get that feeling, don't you? You get that sense that a film would have just been so much better as a TV show. Harry Potter. Think, Harry Potter, Marcus thinks. <laughs> do you, you can, surely you can think of one, Billy. Yeah, I mean, it's not, and it's not necessarily a, cr- a criticism of the source film. I remember reading a review at the time, and I've, I've spoken about this movie before because it's a personal favourite of mine on the, on the podcast. But... Um, Moonlight. I mean, that's that film is split into three 40, 35, 40 minute acts, you know, that represent three different stages in the character of Chiron's life. And I read one review um, at the time that Moonlight came out, and it and it said essentially the same thing that I'm saying. You know, it's not a criticism of the film to say that every act of each one of the three acts of the movie has such has such beauty in its storytelling and such depth of character. And of course, you know, they're telling, you know, 30 years of this character's life, you know, you, you do almost wonder, you know, Moonlight is a movie on its own, you know, is able to capture, you know, so much of a life in an hour and four, just over an hour and 40 minutes. It's quite incredible, really. You know, what, what you know, depths would that have been able to go to if it had been, you know, three hour and 20 minute episodes or, more, or potentially more than that? You know, that does um, it does it does beg the question. Well, then again, spreading if they did end up spreading it out, would then not not would that then not feel like it's just too long and they're just dragging things out for the sake of it? So that, like yeah, potentially, with the boundaries of a film length, you do have that quicker storytelling, especially if a story's so in depth. Like obviously, some films dragging it out to a two-hour-long films, you know, too much. Where but obviously films that have such in-depth storylines, like it's quite an art form trying to compress it into that short a time. And obviously, like you said, there are cases where it just would be better if you had more time or even people that nowadays would be willing to watch a much longer film for it. But then here's a, a weird, obscure case. Uh, I know it's not exactly like a film film. Have any of you you've heard of Lamez? Lamez Robles? Yeah, of course. Right, theatre show gone film and then about I think a year ago, maybe longer than that, they released an actual mini series of Lamers, and there was no music, and it did kind of feel like a just more dragged out version of it. Like Lamers on its own is just a, a massive artistic musical film, but it explores somehow the depths of the French Revolution through song, and it's obviously amazing. But the mini series, it was more dramatic, and it was all dragged out. And yes, you could explore the characters more in depth. But the whole point of Lame is what it was, this artistic musical piece that at the time hadn't really been done before. So it's just a case of, you know, something that they've tried both of. Like, you know, there's a version that's a series and a version that's the musical and obviously the theatre there is. And I'm not sure. Obviously, I prefer the theatre show over both of them. But like, I don't know, when watching it, it did kind of just feel dragged out and adding detail for the sake of it. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I didn't really get on with the miniseries. I think I watched the first two, maybe three episodes, and I, I found it dull. So I yeah. Kind of, I, I mean, it, it, in. it did kick off, you know, like most miniseries do. It did kick off a bit, but yeah, it was just kind of like, okay, the whole point of this is to explore the characters and all blah, blah, blah. Stuff that we already know because 
the theatre show and the film did already so well because of its... Ugh. I hope that makes yeah. sense. So I think one that's coming out soon that concerns me that's going to be a bit like that is the film adaptation of Dune. I don't know if you've read Dune, but it was one of the um, kind of original science fiction um, books that was, it, you know, went on to inspire things like Star Wars. And it, it's kind yeah. of this... It's, the, it's where Spice, you know, the Spice traders from Star Wars, it's a direct reference to Dune. And it's coming out as a film... Um, and there are, you know, not only three film books in the series, but, you know, it's such a spanning novel that has this kind of deep kind of culture that has been woven into it. Like I said to Marcus a couple of days ago, the world building is one of my favourite things about Star Wars, and it holds true for June. that my concern is going to be that they lose a lot of the world building, as they do with a lot of modern science fictions like uh, Valerian, A City of a Thousand Worlds, which I have also told Marcus I hate with a burning passion that will never be extinguished. Speaking of giant conglomerate corporations owned by Disney, who's the big company now that's decided they're also going to explore mini-series storytelling as opposed to films? What? Who is it? Marvel. Marvel! Oh, of course, yeah, Marvel. Yeah, right, they... I thought this was a, a joke, but no. It is a joke because you know Star Wars, Marvel, both massive conglomerate corporations owned by one monopolizing you know industry. But you know, <laughs> obviously that's arguable. But yeah, I mean they're now exploring it as opposed to well, not as opposed, but they're doing it now as well as films to expand the universe. Um, and have you guys been watching him? Uh, yeah, I, I've watched. I've watched all of. I've watched um, pretty much all of them. <laughs> Right, and they went down the route, and obviously we we're going to go more in depth to the pros and cons of it, but they went more down the route of weekly releases as opposed to releasing it all at once, because obviously they do that as a film, so they have to have that differentiation. And I honestly am all for it. This kind yeah. of format made me realise how much the weekly releases of episodes is so necessary for a miniseries storytelling, because at the end of every episode, they reveal new information, and then obviously the humongous fan base spends the entire week theorising to then next week get their theory debunked. Um, and it's that kind of atmosphere of you've got a whole week to talk about that one episode. And it's like, yeah. wow, so much happens in just one like 40, 50 minute episode. You've got so much to talk about. And um, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just so incredible to just, if you, you feel more involved in the world than you already did watching the Marvel films. Like, for example the Loki series that's currently going on now, so obviously I'm not going to spoil anything. I'll spoil uh, it. Yeah. I don't know, each episode just feels so different in its own way, but obviously so connected. And, oh, I, I can't even talk specifics, but yeah, it's just a prime example of personally, I feel, why weekly releases of a miniseries just is so much better than releasing it all at once so you can just binge it all. Yeah. I think that um, that general principle, for me anyway, applies to television in general. I think yeah. there are numerous occasions I can I can pull on that, you know, I would never I would never have been nearly as emotionally. I mean, it wouldn't have the show wouldn't have not been great, but I wouldn't have been nearly as invested in the show if I hadn't had to go through the weekly you know process of waiting, you know, and going through yeah. cliffhangers and wondering what was going to yeah. happen. I mean, the example that comes to mind for me is The Good Place. I mean, again, without spoilers, yeah. um, I would not have, you know, been the emotional wreck that I was in that series finale if I hadn't spent, you know, as much time as I had, you know, waiting between seasons, waiting between episodes for, yeah, you know, to, to see what those characters were getting up to. So that was a, a massive thing for me. A very well-defined way of saying that miniseries and a film is such different ways of storytelling. And I think if you were ever going to write a story, you would have to take these things into mind, into consideration. Because if you're just going to do a miniseries that's you know released all at once, and that's most likely your stories should just be one massive like six-hour-long film. But if you're thinking of a story and you're thinking, okay, this is going to be a TV series or this is going to be a miniseries, you'd have to have those considerations of okay each week or each like obviously portion of the entire story in its own has to have this kind of split it has to have this kind of okay here's a big cliffhanger here's a big reveal so in saying one six hour long big story you'd have to have obviously if you had six six episodes of an hour you'd have to have six big 
storytelling moments in that one story, or you'd have to have six distinct splits. Whereas if you were writing a miniseries as if it was going to be one big film, that's not necessarily as important. Yeah, I think there's a time and place for it, though, don't you agree? Because, like, the Queen's Gambit would not yeah. have been, would not have worked that way. Because the Queen's Gambit is not, it's not got tons and tons of stuff each episode for you to debunk. It works solely because, and I hate this word, because it's bingeable. Don't, like, if you did one episode of the Queen's Gambit, then you had to wait for a whole week. You just wouldn't hold the investment. The suspense. So that's what I mean. So they've considered that. And they've written the story as if it was one thing that would be bingeable. And that's, you know, obviously there needs to be that distinction made because obviously, you know, if they released on whatever platform, they, the writers would have had to go, okay, this, we've wrote this as a series that doesn't have big cliffhangers and wouldn't be good as a weekly release. We wrote it and we've created this as if it was one big long story that someone could bitch and bin, could bitch, could binge in a night. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I remember watching The Queen's Gambit and I started it at about eight and finished it at one because yeah. it, I just could not stop. And I, I think that The Queen's Gambit, I think, has this kind of feeling towards it. Now, Billy, I, I assume you've seen Queen's Gambit. Yeah, terrific. Yeah, I mean, terrific. I, think, I think that show has... I do, yeah, it's, it definitely works more as a, as a binge than I think certain other shows do because there's a there's a level of pace to the edit and the general flow of the story you know the way she's kind of getting propelled you know to each of these competitions yeah and you know you know plowing through her you know journey to becoming you know, a chess prodigy and i think that you know propulsive feel to to her journey as a character you know really kind of pulls you through that show and and invest yeah. you invest you to the point where you do want to kind of sit down and um binge it and just you know purely on just to speak about the show itself i mean the way it you know managed to give that sort of tension and stakes to chess a, a, a sport that we don't generally tend to feel you know it doesn't have you know the move the movement or the you know visceral physicality of something like football or rugby you know but to give yeah. it you know the same amount of tension and entertainment factor and thrill was you know a real success for me for that for that series okay so just interestingly before we start mini series there is a mini series called mini series <laughs> and that is super stupid <laughs> watch it who's it by uh i don't know I can't find that out. Anyway. Why have you us this really interesting piece of information when you've not just anyway, it by? Moving on. <laughs> Let's just talk about our favourite miniseries. Um, so, Billy, do you want to go first? What is your favourite miniseries that you've watched ever? Ooh. Two, two definitely come to mind. And the first one would be Band of Brothers. That's, that's one that gets pulled out a lot when... Yeah people discuss you know the best limited series the best mini series ever you know great performances by you know a, a huge cast really you know great well-directed intense war set pieces but also you know having those 10 quite lengthy episodes you know some of them are even up to like an hour and 35 minutes from what i remember um you do get perhaps in other shorter war movies where you know there's all this where there's a lot of action, a lot of destruction, a lot of carnage, you know, the deaths can at, at times feel not as emotionally significant, but you really do get to know that. Um, you, do get, you do get to know Easy Company in the course of that, se of that series. And the, the action sequences have so much weight to them. And yeah, it's that balance of the downtime and the emotional and character-driven side of the drama and also these, you know, very overwhelming set pieces that really make that, series for me it's 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 fantastic and then the other one would be uh normal people which i think um it was kind of interesting normal people because the episodes were quite short kind of the other end of the spectrum 12 25 minute or so episodes yeah. but um it was amazing just how in not particularly long span of time for you know a 12 episode series how well you were able to get into the mind of characters how just emotionally resonant from the word go it was how much of their how much of their relationship and their 
dynamic was communicated through the camera work in the direction, how great their performances were, how, I mean, I mean, just to take the title, normal people, I mean, there's, there's such a, that relationship feels so genuine and so real. And it wasn't afraid to go to some dark places or to go in some directions that maybe your typical romantic drama wouldn't necessarily go. It didn't always give you as a viewer what it wanted, but it always just felt incredibly real, incredibly raw. And, you know, you, you felt just completely invested in the dynamic between the two, the two leads who were performed just beautifully by Paul Meskell and Daisy Edgar-Jones. Listening to you talk about films, Billy, I don't know if I've ever told you this, is absolutely fantastic. You can talk about <laughs> anything and just make it sound... Please describe to me eating your breakfast, because I feel like that would be brilliant. <laughs> I oh, took one I, spoonful I, of the cornflakes and I crunched <laughs> them in my mouth. Oh, I, I, I appreciate I, that, Matt. It's just wonderful to listen to you kind of babble on about bullshit. It's fantastic. Or, of course, in this case, movies. Uh, Marcus, what is your uh, favourite miniseries? There's one notable one that I watched um, with my girlfriend a while ago called Behind Her Eyes. Okay. I'm only saying it because it's the most recent, because I don't really watch that many miniseries other than the Marvel ones. Um, yeah. But I watched it before the whole hype of miniseries came out. And it was really, like... I had no idea which direction it was going in until about the fourth of the sixth episode. Like, have any of you heard of it? Uh, I'm looking at it now on IMDb. You're going to have to I'm aware talk of it. about it. Right. It's one of these things that it's a story and you don't really know what they're talking about until, like, it, they slowly reveal kind of... Like, it's, it's like, it's, you think it's just a story about a man and a woman who has a kid and she, he's a bit of a knobhead. Uh, he's got a wife, and then the wife and the wife become friends, and then it's like, um, and obviously there's this kind of character art develops between the three of them, and then one's more dramatic, and then you realise one of them was in a mental institution, and then you get revealed that that the um, woman had a um, a friend who was talking to her about like lucid dreaming and stuff. The impacts of lucid dreaming then gets the main character involved, and then obviously husband becomes a bit more abusive, and then you realise. Um, all of the and then like it, it, the, the whole show is kind of about um, lucid dreaming and what and then eventually it develops into like astro forms and shit um, oh it's just weird I, the entire experience was so like it felt like such a dull TV show for like the first two episodes then it kind of got angry a minute what are you on about and the end episode had a massive twist at the end of it which changed the entire story and how we looked at it it was just mad it was really mind-boggling but because of the length and because of the time it took to invest obviously the main character into the concept the audience also got invested in so the way the ending was if someone told me that that's what the show was about i would not have cared um but just watching it and then getting invested throughout the whole series and then everything getting flipped over at the end it was just madness and yeah. the, obviously they ended it as like an ending, but obviously it was one of those open-ended kind of, there's the, you know, it's obviously the whole story's just changed and it, it just, oh man, it was absolutely mental. That's all I'll say. Obviously I know I can't spoil anything on this, but yeah, yeah it was, oh, I don't know. You really, really liked it is what I'm, yeah. And I think that the miniseries are really good for that. They're really good for kind of getting you invested in characters' lives, not just their um, kind of, superficial outer lives is like the task that they've got to complete you get invested in like their hopes their dreams you know the thoughts the feelings that they have more so than you do and a really good and a really good like recent example of that is i don't know if any of you guys watched um mayor of east town the limited series with um kate winslet playing the um the the police chief investigating a murder in a rural american community I think I was considering watching it, but never got time to it. I saw a few episodes of it with my mum, but I weren't really watching so much as I was like working and it was all in the background, which is a shame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Ken- Kate Winslet's central performance is fantastic. I mean, you, I mean, she's in so much stuff, you kind of almost at times forget how good she is, and then she gets a role like that, and you're like, wow, she really is like one of our best actresses. But I think the strength of it as yeah. a miniseries, I mean, comes with, I mean, you, you get the sense of, well you are taken through the police investigation that's obviously a compelling factor in the narrative but part of the another big part of the um 
the drama is you know it's a, it's a small community everyone knows each other there's various different characters that play various different you know political sort of you had an affair with my wife and all that kind of divorces and you know past abuses and all that sort of stuff and if you didn't have that seven episode run you wouldn't you wouldn't get the sense of how this the ebb and flow of this of this village and this community and how they all sort of at times work together in a really strange and walked away but also hurt each other and hide things from each other and it all culminates in a really you know great ending which i which i didn't expect it really kind of threw me for a loop it was, it was terrific yeah. in a sense you know on a much smaller scale Mary, Mary v stand does have a, like a bit of like world building in it as well which is kind of interesting yeah can i talk about the fargo tv show because the first season was a really good mini series and then the other two were obviously just like crap nothing to do with fargo at all well, so we, we we can keep it in it's interesting because like when I when I Google when I Google best miniseries, I mean they're obviously like are oh, you know separate, you know, standalone shows like the ones we've mentioned so far and others. But there's there's also they tend to include stuff like True Detective season one and you know, seasons of anthology series which, you know, are part of a larger thematically connected anthology, but in, in, in each individual season has its own character's own story that's separate from the others. Yeah, so I think, yeah, one of my favourites, Fargo, the original, um, for, well, the first season of Fargo. Um, I really like that. I thought that the tension kept it up really, really well. And Queen's Gambit, which I've talked around already, but I, I just love it. I, I love that it made chess cool. Um, <laughs> well, that's the, that's the game. That's the game. That's cool. Yeah, if you can make yeah. chess cool, then, you you know, you... you, you I tip my hat to you. We could, we could all, we could definitely fill an entire episode with Queen's Gambit talk. Um, yeah, totally. that'd, that'd be very easy to do. But yeah, Fargo and Queen's Gambit really loved those, and obviously the like Marvel ones are all just they're all good, but they're entertainment really. So I, I, I remiss in kind of picking entertainment ones. Over. They're interesting though. I don't think with the Marvel, I'm, I'm only going to briefly talk about it again, but I don't think they've kept to the norm i think with the three shows they've got so far they've explored three different ways of storytelling and they're all brilliant in their own way but obviously it's more about fan service and it's more about you know it being something fun to watch and it being but obviously they're not all the same way you like they obviously they're all marvel shows but because obviously marvel the mcu have got such different aspects of it now they've kind of gone deeper with that and they've gone just mad mad and mental basically for me, one of the um, when I think about the benefits of the things I like about miniseries, it sort of takes me back to when I first watched Band of Brothers. I watched Band of Brothers sort of not when I'd finished the show, but when I was I was I watched it in conjunction when I was watching the box set of The Wire, which is known as one of the greatest and most dense and complex TV dramas ever made, and it's sort of, it's it's incredible. It's one of the one of my top five TV shows ever, but um to go from something that was so dense and had so many different characters and, and you know, such, you know, socially conscious and political storylines and everything to go from that to a smaller series that had tension to it and was l longer than a movie, but, you know, it still had a very definitive endpoint and kept that tension going throughout and kept my investment in the characters going throughout was a real breath of fresh air, you know, coming off the back of a very, very, you know, taxing very attention demanding you know long long form drama and you know i've i've, I've watched several you know five to seven or eight season dense dramas since you know like game of thrones or mad men and to come out of those and you know then go watch something like um unbelievable or when they see us or i may destroy you that have much kind of smaller attention it's kind of just a breath of fresh air really yeah um, I think that a, a massive benefit of miniseries is that you don't get show fatigue. So um, that, for me, is watching a really long series, you can get a bit fatigued from it. Uh, so, for example, watching um, The Expanse. I love, 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 love The Expanse. But I have not had the kind of almost mental fortitude to watch season five. Because I'm just tired. I love it. I love the world. I love the storytelling. 
but you get fatigued, I think, after a while, after a long-running show. Like, even I get tired after watching Star Trek, for example. I can't, <laughs> I can't, like, watch... I get show fatigue on star- on things like Star Trek. On long-running shows, I think you really struggle with with that. Um, especially, especially when, when the like... show isn't great. <laughs> 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 and especially, especially as well when there's like long gaps between each season. I mean, we yeah. The Handmaid's Tale season four started um, started back up again recently, which, in my opinion, is still the best thing, or maybe the next to Succession, the best thing that's currently on TV. And, you know, I, lo- I love that show. I'm really invested in that show. But there is, a- because it's been nearly two years since season three, and we've waited such a long time, you know, there is kind of this adjustment period where it's kind of like, oh, you know, I had to, you know, read a bit of a recap, watch a bit of a recap, sort of get myself reacquainted with what had happened the past season. Yeah. And it is kind of like a, re- a little bit of a readjustment period where you do sort of have to find your way back into the characters again and, and connect with them a bit. I mean, it's not yeah. a deal breaker, but that it has been apparent to me watching returning to that show whereas with the miniseries you don't get that because it's just the continuous stream yeah i I think that another example of fatigue that i've had is with american gods now i watched american gods both series in two days flat because i was just so invested in the characters and now that the third season has come out not even a month later i'm like trying to find excuses to watch it and i just never can i think it's it's just fatigue isn't it you watch a really good show and i think it's a it's a it's a downside of binge culture, almost. Like, you watch a really good show, and you watch it, you watch it, and you watch it, and your brain's craving more, and you get to the end, and you're like, oh, God, there's no more. And then, you know, you've gone down that kind of pit, and to get back up to watching it, I think, is is difficult. But with miniseries, it's kind of just the right length. You get invested in the characters, you know, you've got the weekly releases, you're not, you're not suffering from the fatigue, the binge-watching fatigue so much. Yeah. And there's a sense of perfection to them as well. There's, you know, there's been shows that have maybe, you know, had a bit of a duff season in the middle or gone on too long and completely tanked it by the end. <laughs> Dexter. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, I think about a show like I May Destroy You that covers so much narrative ground, you know, on the topics of sexuality, sexual assault, race, gender, and all those sorts of issues. And then just starts really well is super compelling the whole way through and then just has the perfect ending and it's there it's you know it's it's the 12 episodes it's not going to change it's what it is and it's not gonna it's not going to be have the potential to be tanked further down the line you know i mean michaela cole's such a great writer that she'd probably do a great job anyway if she decided to expand the series but you know that's not going to be the case with every show but yeah yeah i i think that there is a lot of benefits to miniseries. I think they'll only continue to go from strength to strength as writers start to see them as more of an acceptable format to make films, especially with the rise of like big streaming services now taking them on rather than, you know, like traditional television, BBC and ITV taking on limited series. And it seems to be like a preferred way now of, well, not, well even going back to the 80s with shows like um, Rich Man, Poor Man and Roots and everything. And plenty of other shows it seems to be a good way of adapting singular novels as well and gives writers more freedom in that respect they don't need to feel restricted in that they have to get a you know a 500 page novel down into a 90 minute to 180 minute at the you know at max um film you know they, they can take that time over multiple episodes to tell that story but also not feel the need to have it extended past the end point of the novel i mean there have been great examples of shows that have had a you know stayed great and had a really good life beyond the confines of the events of the original novel like the handmaid's tale but for shows like uh like we said the queen's gambit that was a novel normal people was a novel sharp objects was a novel there's been many many i think olive kittredge was a novel as well the francis mcdormand miniseries that won an emmy yeah, so films like uh, not films tv shows like good omens limited series i loved 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 good omens and i've only just you know just now it's popped back into my head it was a book before um it was a film who was it written by oh no they're making a second season of good omens fuck Oh, no. uh, terry pratchett <laughs> it was written by terry pratchett and it's a limited series now but money has gotten involved so here we go it's going to be a new it's going to be a new hey, series the second, 
hey, the second series could still be good. We'll, we'll, we'll hold out hope. We'll hold also, out like, hope. The episodic format of a miniseries, it, it, it lends itself well, I mean, we said this earlier, to the, cha- to the chapters of a novel. I mean, you think about an adaptation of a book like Normal People. You know, I haven't read the novel and haven't read the novel of The Queen's Gambit either, but, you know, entire competitions, chess competitions in The Queen's Gambit have their own individual episodes. Yeah. So you see those clear stages of her progression up the chess world. In Normal People, you know, stages of their relationship are have their own individual episodes like without getting into major spoilers or anything uh the holiday they take in italy that has its own episodes when marianne is you know having a dark phase when she uh is in is studying abroad and has that toxic abusive relationship that that not with the main character but with a different character um that has its that's relegated to its own episodes and also in not even in shows that are original that don't have source novels that they're adapted from like like i may destroy that that is its own original story and entity you know each each episode kind of takes its own sort of angle towards the sexual assault issue you know one is about her one episode has her retracing her steps and trying to remember what was the night before one episode geared more towards social media one episode geared towards uh, dating and meeting up with people you haven't met before. There's another episode geared towards um, uh, support groups, and then also a um, a, char- uh, a a friend from us from the main character's past at school that was involved in a false rape allegation. allegation. So the kind of the different sort of thematic pl- uh, areas that that show wants to cover. You know, is done is done so successfully because of the episodic format allows you to do all these different yeah. individual pieces, and the writing's so good that it all flows together really well, really nicely. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, shall we talk about some of the risks, some of the downsides potentially that we can see in miniseries? Well, I think the the point you made a little a little while ago about you know there being so many more miniseries made now and streaming services um, getting involved with that. Whilst that's good in the sense that there's so many more options now to tell stories and writers have even more freedom with the kind of formats of television and filmmaking that they can write their scripts into. There is this, I do, I do get this sense of, especially in the last few years, when streaming has just, you know, continued to become more and more of a juggernaut in the film and television industry. There is this sense that, the market is getting oversaturated with miniseries like this idea of you know a twist i think especially in the lockdown people were you know liking quite liking these you know short you know no real commitment uh, binges you know these kind of smaller stories and um and i think that's good in the sense because you know there's so many more stories and so much more content and representation but at the same time it can mean that certain great shows will get lost in the shuffle but then again, there have been, you know, these really great shows that have been recognised, like Queen's Gambit, I May Destroy You, Normal People, and uh, The Outsider, and, and plenty of others as well. Yeah. So, do you think that it's kind of a risk that we have to take, you know, if there's going to be an oversaturation of media, do we, as kind of more avid filmmakers, filmmaker, film watchers, movie moviegoers, television enthusiasts, have, like, almost a responsibility to sort through the chaff and preserve and talk about the things that, you know, we think are good rather than just complaining about the fact that there's too many out there. We should be looking through the, the, the shit to find the, the, the golden nuggets, <laughs> so to speak. Or do you just think yeah. there's too many of them and we should can stop? No, I, I, I don't necessarily think, you know, we should cull, you know, all these all these different series that um because there's always there's always going to be different audiences that are going to find different things entertaining you know stuff like i may destroy you subject matter wise is understandably going to be too heavy for some people and too emotionally taxing um even even though you know it's clearly very socially relevant it'll be too much for some people to take and that's fine that's absolutely that's absolutely okay you know that's the great thing about having so many different styles of stories so i i don't want to like look down upon shows that may just offer you know a more superficially like exciting or 
um, uplifting entertainment experience. But um, I do think it's important that when there are shows like Iron Maid Destroy that, are, that have such relevance for today in terms of the issues they choose to explore, that we do kind of put those a bit up on a pedestal and go, these ones, all these other shows that are clearly, you know, people are enjoying are great. It's great that they're here, but here's, here's one we should really be discussing in terms of the issues it looks at. Yeah. Okay, so now that we've finished, you know, kind of wrapped up our discussion on limited series and how that affects TV and all that good stuff, we're now going to move on to the game. If anyone listening is unfamiliar with the game, it's just a little kind of fun, you know, silly creative exercise at the end to get us to flex our creative muscles. We each give each other a location, a time period and a prop, and we have five minutes to come up with our own story you know from our boundless imagination you know and sometimes they get pretty wild so yes who would like to go first in giving okay objects uh marcus do you want to give to me i'll give to billy billy give to you yeah it works all right right, right. max is it ob- object time period place right yeah right your object is a bowl of cereal Oh, that's what I'm eating right now because I'm a hungry boy. A bowl um, of cereal. Yep. Your time period is um, 2007. Okay. Um, and it'll make sense when I say the location. Your location is an Apple store. Okay. So, so for, if it helps, 2007 was when they released the first iPhone. I, I don't care. No. And there's a bowl of cereal there somehow. Okay, right. Are we oh. ready to go? Five minutes starting now. Okay, so we open in a nighttime Apple store in 2007. The iPhone is just about to be released and they are piled in the storeroom in dark boxes. A group of um, no goods are trying to sneak into this Apple store to steal the boxes before they can be distributed to the paying public who are waiting outside to purchase their phones like good you know people law-abiding citizens we see this old tired security guard called marcus and he sat there absolutely devouring a bowl of cereal at this point in his late shift the cereal is all damp there's no crunchy bits left and he hears a noise and he goes to grab his torch um, and he starts looking around and he sees these three men who are taking their iPhones out of their boxes and hiding them in their um, in these duffel bags. He goes, hey, you, stop there. And they, they rush over to him with knives and he panics. Oh, he, grabs the, he grabs the first thing he can find, which is his cereal bowl. <laughs> And in a fight scene that is destined to be directed by Matthew Vaughn, <laughs> smashes the bowl of cereal over the head of one of the attackers. Oh, the attacker God. stumbles back, dazed and confused. His other two friends lurch at Marcus the Night Watchman with knives, trying to stab him. Marcus dolts back, grabbing the spoon from the side that he hadn't hit the other one with. And in a absolutely pathetic sword fight these three <laughs> battle it out with spoons kind of exchanging blows and glances and parry parrying the attacks with these swords little does marcus know that the person he had hit over the head with his um with his cereal bowl had gotten up took one defiant step towards marcus and slipped over the milk and um the <laughs> over the milk and slipped on the soggy cornflakes, fell over and hit his head again. <laughs> Marcus looks over now at the emergency alarm button to push it. The, the people he is fighting clocks this and one of them goes over to him and tries to push him away from the security alarm button. But Marcus, his trusty spoon in hand, throws his spoon and it hits the emergency alarm button. And just as you were expecting to go off, it to go off. It, it doesn't. It's a spoon, not a finger. Well, <sighs> last time, does he, does he die? Thought, 
No, I thought that joke had land better than it did. That's why I left a moment for a laugh. Uh, <laughs> so he throws a spoon at a fire alarm and it doesn't hit because it's a spoon. It, it, it hits it, it just doesn't push the button. It's a spoon, <laughs> not a fire, not, not a finger. Right? There we Mate, go, that's better. Mate, I was just in awe of how impressive the fact that you turned the cereal bowl and a security guard into a bloody fight scene with some thugs in an Apple store. Mate, that's impressive. I'm, I'm not done yet. So, oh, for God's sake. Now, laughing at the security guard's incompetence, one of the, um, one of the people turn, one of the people who has a duffel bag now full of iPhones turns to run out the store from their illicit entrance. He goes over to try and help his compadre who has fallen in the cereal. He lifts him up to about almost standing up. And then they both slip and fall in the cereal. And now they're both, you know, shit out of luck, falling in this cereal. This one last guy, now aware that he has disarmed his opponent, he no longer has a spoon, charges at him with a knife. Marcus and the combatant engage in close quarters combat, you know, grappling and talking and pushing at each other to try and get the advantage. And eventually Marcus does so and manages to knee this man in the groin. Oh my God. The most terrifying place you can knee a man. But this man, he, you know, curls over and leans backwards. And, you know, Marcus gives him one last defiant push. And the other two, who have just now managed to stand up in the cereal, get knocked right back over by this guy. Um, and Marcus stands over them, you know, and he picks up the duffel bags of iPhones and he opens them and all the screens are cracked. And he thinks, oh, shit, I've lost my job. Do you know how much they charge to fix an iPhone screen? <laughs> so, Brilliant. the end. Look at that, Brilliant. perfect timing. I weren't even looking oh. at the timer. That was brilliant. That was brilliant. Max, that story was incredible. 10 out of 10. Thank you. Thank you. So um, you didn't expect it to go that way, did you, Marcus? No, but it somehow did. Well done. Right. So who am I giving to? I'm giving to Billy, aren't I? You. All right. Billy, your location is Taj Mahal. Oh. Your object is an electric razor. And your time period is 1772. Your time starts Christ, now. I've, got no, I've got no fucking idea what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, As you are silent, your minutes tick down, Billy. Oh fuck! I'm drawing a complete blank. Jesus. <laughs> I've, got, I've got something. I've got something. I've got something. Okay, Billy's got may, something. Let's it, go. It, it may be very historically inaccurate, but and it might not make it into the thing. But like, we'll have to. We'll just have to, we'll just have to see. So it's 1772 in um, India, in the Taj Mahal, and the caste system, social hierarchy, is in full swing, and. One of the servants has um, has been secretly, you know, having a bit having a bit of a party in one of the in one of the secret rooms of the Taj Mahal, one of the, one of the corners, you know, where he can't be found in such a vast building. And you know, he, he wakes up. He's got a fucking raging hangover, and he's and he wakes up and goes, "Shit, I'm late for like worship," and he's thinking, "What the fuck am I going to do?" And he's he's getting on his robes. He's getting on his own his, his gear. And um, he's thinking, oh, my God, I look an absolute mess. I need to be, um, I need to be clean shaven. And uh, he, so he, he goes to the bathroom and, uh, and, he, and, he, and he goes to start um, sh shaving himself. And, uh, but then, but then uh, the, the bell, <laughs> mysterious bell in the, in the Taj Mahal rings calling all the servants from last night to, uh, to, to worship and also to dine on the, uh, on the, on the various um, royal figures in the, in the, Taj, in the Taj Mahal. 
and so he's and he's halfway done he's literally got half half his mustache down one side of his face and you know and his other side is completely clean shaven so he looks like a total mess he's, he's thinking christ i've got to i've got to go down there now and you know otherwise i'm going to get kicked out and lose my job uh, you know or worse i'm going to be i'm going to be executed so he so he absolutely bolts down there at record speed and uh he, he gets to the door to the to the worship hall and um he gets in and he hasn't put on his robes properly and also hasn't, you know, realized that he's still holding his, um, still holding his razor from, you know, just half finishing shaving. And he, he gets to the room and he busts in. He's the last, he's last there and he's just about on time. But at that moment he slips on part of his robe and accidentally cuts himself with his razor <laughs> spraying blood all over the you know, the sacred carpets and robes and ornaments. Jesus! Thank um, <laughs> God, dude! In, 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 oh, the, in the worship hall, you know, paint, painting the various figures who he is um, employed to serve in his um in his own blood, and and you know he he gets up. Um, feeling quite faint, having lost so much blood, and is greeted by, you know, dozens of you know royal Indian figures, you know, looking looking at him with the death stare, at having been covered with a inferior um, servant's blood, and at that moment he realizes that um, there are no other servants in the room. The servants weren't actually being called, so he didn't even need to come down. It was, it was the bell specifically for the uh, royal figures to come down, and uh, and at the end of the movie, he realizes that he could have just stayed in bed with his hangover and shaved properly, and then didn't have to uh, and didn't have to come over and come down and cause such a horrendous scene, and. And he is taken, and his face drops, and he kind of just goes, "Oh shit, I'm done." And they take him outside, and as punishment, execute him. Jesus, Billy! Holy Christ! My lord! Uh, don't include that. That was probably my shittest story. Oh, no, no, was... they don't get. They don't get like removed. There are there are a lot of really really bad stories that have been left in. That's not. That's not how it works, Billy. <laughs> that's not how it works at all. Oh. I don't even know, like, historically, like, fucking royal bells getting caught. They are, yeah, I was, yeah, I was drawing a blank with that one. Right, okay, Billy, do you want to give Marcus his words? Right, I need to engage my brain. Right, so, Marcus, your location is the Scottish Highlands. The Scottish Highlands, right. Yeah. Your time period is... um. Uh, the early 1700s, so you know, England and Scotland are at each other's throats. Are they? All right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. 1746, Battle of Culloden, all that. Um, and your uh, your item is an English flag. Oh Jesus! All right. Oh, I know okay. what I can do. Oh, I've got. I'm idea. setting this up for carnage. <laughs> nah, this is nah, This is a great story. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring back an old story art that's quite familiar to most people. Um, so there's this dude lying on yeah. ground in the Scottish Islands, like mountains, whatever. You know, he's he's kind of in a valley. Um, but the war, you know, it's taken itself to like the cities and stuff, you know, they're not really in the highlands, they're just kind of staying away. Um, the highlands are obviously massive, so there's this one dude in the middle, and then like 1770, do they have like, they don't have chariots and stuff, do they? What do they have? They what do they, how do they get around? They, they definitely have? have chariots and horses and stuff. Now that's Rome, isn't it? Marcus, oh, no, horses. Yeah. is way after Rome. All right, so there's a Scottish scout coming through um, on his little horse and cart, the Scottish horse. Um, the Scottish horse kind of stops, and there's a little Scottish neigh. Oh, I, <laughs> I don't know what a Scottish neigh sounds like, but he does one. And then the Scottish dude on the back says, in Scottish, 
no, I'm not doing an accent. I'm not. I can't. I'm going to be offensive. And he's like, oh, what's going on? And he's like, and the horse says, some dude on phone. <laughs> nah, nah. The horse says, some dude on phone. <laughs> Yo, there's a dude there. And the guy gets off and he's like, oh, hang on a minute. There's a dude. Oh, we'll take him back. Let's go. Let's, um, he's wearing a big coat though, this dude on the floor. Um, so he picks him up, he puts him in chariot and he goes to find the, uh, find the rest of the people because obviously they're a few miles away so he goes to find the rest of the scottish army takes this dude who just presumes he's a soldier you know uh, and then the guy wakes up and he's like yo what's going on um and the guy goes oh my god you're english because obviously you know accents and stuff and he's like what are you on about no oh wait you're scottish and then there's like hang on a minute english scottish whatever um and then the scottish guy checks the guy's coat and finds an English flag and he's like oh my god you're part of the bloody English army oh my god what are you doing here and they have this you know proper English Scottish banter and they're like oh no I don't know what are you doing here what and then they have this big you know they're fighting and then they all they shut up and the horse gets involved and the horse is like pipe down <laughs> now the horse just... <laughs> <laughs> oh I love that the horse talks <laughs> <laughs> right so it's his horse is just like, pipe down. Pipe down. <laughs> and the horse is like, we've hit a bit of a cliff. I've accidentally taken us to the edge of a mountain. Um, and they're at the edge of this mountain cliff in the islands. And the, the Scottish and English dude are like, oh no, what are we going to do? And the Scottish is like, I'll tell you what we're going to do. <laughs> and then he just basically punches the English dude in the face. Uh, they get into a bit of a scrap. Um, and then, um, hang on a minute. And then the English dude, um, he, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's trying his look, but he doesn't do very well. You know, the Scottish, they're pretty, they're pretty inch. So, uh, the Scottish dude's kind of beating him. And then he gets a bit mad and then he thought, you know what? I'm going to just grab him and throw him off the cliff. Jesus. Right. So he throws him off the cliff, but the English guy kind of hangs on. And the only reason he's hanging on is because the English flag is caught onto like the side of the mountain. And um, the Scot, the English guy goes, um, "No, save, save Tom." And the dude's like, "Tom, exactly." The Scottish dude's like, "Hang on a minute, what? What? Who's Tom?" And he's like, "Tom, he's my brother." And the Scottish dude goes, "So is mine. My brother's also called Tom." <laughs> <laughs> Where does this sound familiar, Max? Martha. <laughs> Why do you say that name? (laughs) The English dude, the English dude gets up and he's like, no, Tom, he's my brother. And they obviously, they can't really have the same brother because they're both English and Scottish, right? But also, it's like, and the the Scottish dude goes, hang on a minute, Tom, that's an English name. And he's like, well, yeah. And and then then the Scottish dude realises his brother's English. And then um, he goes, he has a bit of a flashback and realises half of his family's bloody English. And and then he has this big revelation of holy crap! I'm fighting in a war for absolutely no reason. Like what? What's going on? So he decides to save the English dude, um, okay. and then um, and then he picks him up, and then uh, he's like, "Yo, right? I'm sorry. Let's let's um, let's be friends. I'm really sorry." And then the English dude goes, um, "Oh yeah, my brother's not called Tom. He's called Tim. Sorry, I forgot." Oh. <laughs> Right then, and then all of his remorse just goes away, and then he just kicks him off the cliff at like full pelt. What uh, the hell? He's like, yeah, he's like, no, nah, all of that remorse, all of that thought, he just kind of goes, nope, see you later. Absolutely belts this English guy off the cliff, and the horse just goes, <laughs> the horse just, I don't know, he's just saying, that's what you get, you English scum, and then they just. They leave the chariot behind, and the Scottish dude just jumps on the horse, and they just ride into the sunset. Like the chariot's gone now. They just, you know, just to look cooler. Just imagine a horse that talks with a Scottish dude on the back, who's just killed an Englishman, and yeah. Ta-da! Okay, well, we started off strong with my story. <laughs> we went um... we drove off a literal cliff with mine. <laughs> and then a bloody Scottish Highland cliff with mine. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. 
for this episode of Keep Swimming, where we spoke about miniseries, uh, what we liked about them, and the kind of the effect they have on storytelling, and also how they may go on to affect the industry. I've been Billy. I've been Max. I've been Marcus. And join us next week on Keep Swimming. Bye. 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 How do I make this thing leave me alone?